for, in the mountains, I saw a circus in a mountain town, the mountaineers swarmed from far and near, and lined the streets on every hand with open mouth and bated breath, as the grand procession, with band, and clown, and camels, and elephants, and lions, and tigers, and spotted horses, paraded in brilliant array. The excitement was boundless when the crowd rushed into the tent, and they left behind them a surging mass of humanity, and provided with tickets, and destitute of the silver half of the double standard, their interest rose to a white heat as the audience within shouted and screamed with laughter at the clown, and cheered the girl in tights, and applauded the acrobats as they turned somersaults over the elephant, but temptation whispered in the ear of a gentleman in toe breeches, and he stealthily opened his long blade knife and cut a hole in the canvas. A score of others followed suit, and held their sides and laughed at the scenes within. But as they laughed a showman slipped inside, armed with a policeman's billy. He quietly sidled up to the hole where a peeper's nose made a knot on the tent on the inside. Whack! Went the billy, there was a loud grunt, and old toe breeches spun round like a top, and cut the pigeon wing, while his nose spouted blood. Whack! Went the billy, again and old hickory shirt turned a somersault backwards and rose a-running. The last whack fell like a thunderbolt on the Roman nose of a half-drunk old settler from away up at the head of the creek. He fell flat on his back, quivered for a moment, and then sat up and clapped his hand to his bleeding nose and in his bewilderment exclaimed, Well I'll be durned. Hello there stranger. He shouted to a bystander. Or was you at when the lightning struck the show? Then I saw a row of bleeding noses at the branch nearby, taking a bath, and each nose resembled a sore hump on a camel's back. So it is around the great arena of political fame and power. Whack! Goes the billy of popular opinion, and politicians, like old toe breeches, spin round with the broken noses of misguided ambition and disappointed hope. In the heated campaign many a would-be Webster lies down and dreams of the triumph that awaits him on the morrow, but he wakes to find it only a dream and when the votes are counted his little bird hath flown, and he is in the condition of the old Jew, an Englishman, an Irishman and a Jew hung up their socks together on Christmas Eve, the Englishman put his diamond pin in the Irishman's sock, the Irishman put his watch in the sock of the Englishman, they slipped an egg into the sock of the Jew, and did you get anything, asked Pat in the morning, oh yes, said the Englishman, I received a fine gold watch, don't you know, and what did you get Pat, Begora, I got a foy diamond pin, and what did you get, Jacob, said the Englishman to the Jew, well, said Jacob, holding up the egg, I got a chicken but it got angry before I got up, the phantom of fortune, I would not clip the wings of noble, honorable aspiration, I would not bar and bolt the gate to the higher planes of thought and action, where truth and virtue bloom and ripen into glorious fruit, there are a thousand fields of endeavor in the world, and happy is he who labors where God intended him to labor the contented plowman who whistles as he rides to the field and sings as he plows, and builds his little paradise on the farm, gets more out of life than the richest Shylock on earth, the good old spectacled mother in Israel, with her white locks and beaming face, as she works in her sphere, visiting the poor, nursing the sick, and closing the eyes of the dead, is more beautiful in her life, and more charming in her character, than the loveliest queen of society who ever chased the phantoms of pleasure in the ballroom the humblest village creature who faithfully serves his God, and leads his pious flock in the paths of holiness and peace, is more eloquent, and plays a nobler part than the most brilliant infidel who ever blasphemed the name of God, 
the industrious drummer who travels all night and toils all day to win comfort for wife, and children, and mother, and sister, is a better man, and a far better citizen, than the most successful speculator on Wall Street, who plays with the fortunes of his fellow man as the wolf plays with the lamb, or as the cyclone plays with the feather, young ladies, when the time comes to marry, say, yes, to the good-natured, big-heart drummer, for he is a spring in a desert, a straight flush in a weary hand, a thing of beauty and a joy forever, and he will never be at home to bother you. Clocks. Oliver Wendell Holmes says, our brains are seventy-year clocks. The angel of life winds them up once for all, closes the case, and gives the key into the hand of the resurrection angel. And when I read it I thought, what a stupendous task awaits the angel of the resurrection, when all the countless millions of old rickety, rusty, worm-eaten clocks are to be resurrected and white, and dusted, and repaired, for mansions in the skies, there will be every kind and character of clock and clockwork resurrected on that day, there will be the Catholic clock with his beads, and the Episcopalian clock with his ritual, there will be an old clock resurrected on that day wearing a broadcloth coat buttoned up to the throat, and when he is wound up he will go off with a whiz and a bang, he will get up out of the dust shouting, Hallelujah! and he will proclaim, Sanctification, and, falling from grace, and, baptism by sprinkling and pouring, as the only true doctrine by which men shall go sweeping through the pearly gate, into the new Jerusalem, and he will be recognized as a Methodist preacher, a little noisy, a little clogged with chicken feathers, but ripe for the kingdom of heaven, there will be another old clock resurrected on that day, dressed like the former, but a little stiffer and straighter in the back, and armed with a pair of gold spectacles and a manuscript, when he is wound up he will break out in a cold sepulchral tone with, firstly, for ordination, secondly, predestination, and thirdly, the final perseverance of the saints, and he will be recognized as a Presbyterian preacher, a little blue and frigid, a little dry and formal, but one of God's own elect, and he will be labeled for paradise, there will be an old hard shell clock resurrected, with throat whiskers, and wearing a shab-bellied coat and flap breeches, and when he is wound up a little, and a little oil is squirted into his old wheels, he will swing out into space on the wings of the gospel with, My dear beloved brethren, oh, I was arrived no long this morning a trying to study up something to preach to this dying congregation, oh, and as I read up by the old mill pond, oh, lo, and behold, there was an old snag sticking up out of the middle of the pond, oh, and an old material had climb up out UV the water and was a setting up on the old snag as soon and UV himself thought, and lo, and behold ah, when I ran up a little nearer to him ah, he jumped off of the snag, kerchug into the water, thereby proving a mercy on ah, our brains are clocks, and our hearts are the pendulums, if we live right in this world, when the resurrection day shall come, the Lord God will polish the wheels, and jewel the bearings, and crown the casements with stars and with gold, and the pendulums shall be harps encrusted with precious stones, they shall swing to and fro on angel wings, making music in the ear of God, and flashing his glory through all the blissful cycles of eternity, the panic, happy is the man who lives within his means, and who is contented with the legitimate rewards of endeavor, the dreadful panic that checks the progress of civilization and paralyzes the commerce of the world, is the death angel that follows speculation, Everything is staked and hazarded on contingencies that are as baseless as the fabric of a dream. The day of settlement comes and nobody is able to sell. The borrower is powerless to meet his note in the bank. The banker is powerless to pay his depositors. 
and confidence is stampeded like a herd of cattle. The timid and suspicious old farmer catches the wild note of alarm, and deserting his plow and sleepy steers in the field, he mounts his mule, and urging him on with pounding heels, rushes pell to the bank, and with bulging eyes, demands his money. The excitement spreads like fire, the blacksmith leaves his anvil, the carpenter his bench, and the tailor his goose, the tanner deserts his hide, and the shoemaker throws down his last to save his all. The mason with his trowel in his hand, rushes from the half-finished wall, hat drops his hog between heaven and earth and slides down the ladder, muttering, oil had me money or oil had blood. The fat phlegmatic Dutchman, dozing behind his bar, wakes to the situation and waddles down the street, puffing and blowing like an engine, and muttering, mine got in him el mindy boss it ish boosted, and thus they make the run on the bank, gathering about it like the hosts of Armageddon, the bottom drops out, and millionaires go under like the passengers of a wrecked steamer, Dank City, did you ever pass the remains of a, boom, town in your travels, did you never gaze upon the remains of, Dank City, where but yesterday all was life and bustle, and today it looks like the ruins of Babylon. The empty fields for miles and miles around are laid off and dug up in streets, and look like they had been struck with ten thousand streaks of chain lightning. Standing here and there are huge frames holding up mammoth signboards, bearing the names of land companies, but the land companies are gone. Half-driven nails are left to rust in a few old skeleton buildings. The brick lies unmortared in half-finished walls, and tenantless houses stand here and there like the ghosts of buried hope. Down by the river stands the furnace, grim and silent as the extinct crater of Popocatépetl, and the great hotel on the hill looks like the Tower of Babel two thousand years after the confusion of tongues. The last of the speculators, with his blue nose and his old battered plug hat which resembles an accordion that has been yanked by a cyclone, stands on the corner and contemplates his old sedge fields which had shrunk in value from one hundred dollars a front foot, to one dollar for a hundred front acres and balefully sings a new song, after the boom is over, after the panic's on, after the fools are leaving, after the money's gone, many a bank is busted, if we could see in the room, many a pocket is empty, after the boom, your uncle, an impecunious speculator once flooded a town with handbills and posters containing this announcement, your uncle is coming, the streams of passers by looked at the billboards and wondered what it meant, the speculator rented the theater, and one day a new flood of handbills and posters made this announcement, your uncle is here. He gave orders to his stage manager to raise the curtain exactly at 8 o'clock. The speculator himself stood in the door and received the admission fees and then disappeared. In their curiosity to see the performance of, your uncle, the villagers filled every seat in the theater long before the hour for the performance arrived. The curtain rose at the appointed hour, and lo, on a board, in the center of the stage, was a card bearing this announcement in large letters, Your uncle is gone. What a splendid illustration of modern speculation and its willing victims who are so easily led into the paradise of fools. Fools. But why mourn and brood over broken fortunes and the calamities of life? Why tarry in the doldrums of pessimism, with never a breeze to catch your limp and drooping sails and waft you on a joyous wave? Pessimism is the nightmare of the world. It is the prophet of famine, pestilence, and human woe. It is the apostle of the devil, and its mission is to impede the progress of civilization. It denounces every institution established for human development as a fraud. It stigmatizes law as the machinery of injustice. It sneers at society as hollow heart corruption and insincerity. It brands politics as a reeking mass of rottenness, 
and scoffs at morality as the tinsel of sin. Its disciples are those who rail and snarl at everything that is noble and good, to whom a joke is an assault and battery, a laugh is an insult to outraged dignity, and the provocation of a smile is like passing an electric current through the facial muscles of a corpse. God deliver us from the fools who seek to build their paradise on the ashes of those they have destroyed. God deliver us from the fools whose life work is to cast aspersions upon the motives and characters of the leaders of men. I believe the men who reach high places in politics are, as a rule, the best and brainiest men in the land, and upon their shoulders rest the safety and well-being of the peace-loving, God-fearing millions. I believe the world is better today than it ever was before. I believe the refinements of modern society, its elegant accomplishments, its intellectual culture, and its conceptions of the beautiful, are glorious evidences of our advancement toward a higher plane of being. I think the superb churches of today with the glorious harmonies of their chorale music, their great pipe organs, their violins and cornets, and their grand sermons, full of heaven's mom for aching hearts, are expressions of the highest civilization that has ever dawned upon the earth. I believe each successive civilization is better, and higher, and grander, than that which preceded it, and upon the shining rungs of this ladder of evolution, our race will finally climb back to the paradise that was lost. I believe that the society of today is better than it ever was before. I believe that human government is better, and nobler, and purer, than it ever was before. I believe the church is stronger and is making grander strides toward the conversion of the world and the final establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, than it ever made before. I believe that the biggest fools in this world are the advocates and disseminators of infidelity, the would-be destroyers of the paradise of God, a blotted picture. I sat in a great theater at the national capital. It was thronged with youth, and beauty, old age, and wisdom. I saw a man, the image of his God, stand upon the stage, and I heard him speak. His gestures were the perfection of grace, his voice was music, and his language was more beautiful than I had ever heard from mortal lips. He painted picture after picture of the pleasures, and joys, and sympathies, of home. He enthroned love and preached the gospel of humanity like an angel. Then I saw him dip his brush in ink, and blot out the beautiful picture he had painted. I saw him stab love dead at his feet. I saw him blot out the stars and the Sunday and leave humanity and the universe in eternal darkness, and eternal death. I saw him like the serpent of old, worm himself into the paradise of human hearts, and by his seductive eloquence and the subtle devices of his sophistry, inject his fatal venom under whose blight its flowers faded, its music was hushed, its sunshine was darkened, and the soul was left a desert waste, with only the new-made graves of faith and hope. I saw him, like a lawless, erratic meteor without an orbit, sweep across the intellectual sky, brilliant only in his self-consuming fire, generated by friction with the indestructible and eternal truths of God. That man was the archangel of modern infidelity, and I said, How true is holy writ which declares, the fool hath said in his heart, There is no God, tell me not, O infidel, there is no God, no heaven, no hell. A solemn murmur in the soul tells of a world to be, as travelers hear the billows roll before they reach the sea. Tell me not, O infidel, there is no risen Christ, when every earthly hope hath fled, when angry seas their billows fling. How sweet to a lean on what he said, how firmly to his cross we cling. What intelligence less than God could fashion the human body? What motive power is it, if it is not God, that drives that throbbing engine, the human heart, with ceaseless, tireless stroke? 
sending the crimson streams of life bounding and circling through every vein and artery, whence, and what, if not of God, is this mystery we call the mind, what is this mystery we call the soul, what is it that thinks and feels and knows and acts, oh, who can comprehend, who can deny, the divinity that stirs within us, God is everywhere, and in everything, his mystery is in every bud, and blossom, and leaf, and tree, in every rock, and hill, and vale, and mountain, in every spring, and rivulet, and river, the rustle of his wing is in every zephyr, its might is in every tempest, he dwells in the dark pavilions of every storm cloud, the lightning is his messenger, and the thunder is his voice, his awful tread is in every earthquake and on every angry ocean, and the heavens above us teem with his myriads of shining witnesses, the universe of solar systems whose wheeling orbs course the crystal paths of space proclaim through the dread halls of eternity, the glory, and power, and dominion, of the all-wise, omnipotent, and eternal God, visions and dreams, the infinite wisdom of Almighty God has made a plane of intelligence, and a horizon of happiness, for every being in the universe, from the butterfly to the archangel, and every plane has its own horizon, narrowest and darkest on the lowest level, but broad as the universe on the highest, man stands on that wondrous plane where mortality and immortality meet, below him is animal life, lighted only by the dim lamp of instinct, above him is spiritual life, illuminated by the light of reason and the glory of God, below him is this old material world of rock, and hill, and vale, and mountain, above him is the mysterious world of the imagination whose rivers are dreams, whose continents are visions of beauty, and upon whose shadowy shores the surfs of phantom seas forever break, we hear the song of the cricket on the hearth, and the joyous hum of the bees among the poppies, we hear the light-winged lark gladden the morning with her song and the silver-throat thrush warble in the treetop. What are these? And all the sweet melodies we hear, but echoes from the realm of visions and dreams. The hummingbird, that swift fairy of the rainbow, fluttering down from the land of the sun when June scatters her roses northward, and poising on wings that never weary, kisses the nectar from the waiting flowers. How bright and beautiful is the horizon of his little life! How sweet is the dream of the covert in the deep mountain gorge! To the trembling, Standing dear in his flight before the hunter's horn and the yelping hounds. How dear to the heart of the weary ox is the vision of green fields and splashing waters. And down on the farm, when the cows come home at sunset, fragrant with the breath of clover blossoms. How rich is the feast of happiness when the frolicsome calf bounds forward to the flowing udder. And with his walling eyes reflecting whole acres of calf heaven and his little tail wiggling in speechless bliss. He draws his evening meal from nature's commissariat. The snail lulls in his shell and thinks himself a king in the grandest palace in the world, and how brilliant is the horizon of the firefly when he winks his other eye. The red worm delves in the sod and dines on clay, he makes no after-dinner speeches, he never responds to a toast, but silently revels on in his dark banquet halls under the dank violets or in the rich mold by the river, but the red worm never reaches the goal of his visions and dreams until he is triumphantly impaled on the fishhook of the barefoot boy who sees of their visions and dreams of their dreams, of fluttering suckers in shining streams, and oh, there is no thrill half so rapturous to the barefoot boy as the thrill of a nibble, to darkie sat on a rock on the bank of a river, fishing, one was an old darkie, the other was a boy, the boy got a nibble, his foot slipped, and he fell headlong into the surging waters and began to float out to the middle of the stream, sinking, and rising, and struggling, and crying for help, The old man hesitated on the rock for a moment, 
Then he plunged in after the drowning boy, and after a desperate struggle, landed his companion safely on shore. A passerby ran up to the old darky and patted him on the shoulder and said, Old man, that was a noble deed in you, to risk your life that way to save that good-for-nothing boy. Yes boss, mumbled the old man, I was obliged to save dad nigger. He had all the bait in his pocket, the happy long ago. Not long ago I wandered back to the scenes of my boyhood, on my father's old plantation on the bank of the river, in the beautiful land of my native mountains. I rambled again in the pathless woods with my rifle on my shoulder. I sat on the old familiar logs amid the falling leaves of autumn and heard the squirrels bark and shake the branches as they jumped from tree to tree. I heard the katydid sing, and the whip-poor-will, and the deep basso profundo of the bullfrog on the bank of the pond. I heard the drumming of a pheasant and the hoot of a wise old owl away over in Sleepy Hollow. I heard the tinkling of bells on the distant hills sweetly mingling with the happy chorus of the songbirds in their evening serenade. Every living creature seemed to be chanting a hymn of praise to its God, and as I sat there and listened to the weird, wild harmonies, a vision of the past opened before me. I thought I was a boy again, and played around the cabins of the old-time darkies, and heard them laugh and sing and tell their stories as they used to long ago. My hair stood on ends again I was afflicted with hair when I was a boy and the chills played up and down my back when I remembered old Uncle Rufus' story of the Panthers. He said, many years ago, Maz, Jeans was a gwine along the path by the graveyard late in the evening, and blessed a load. All of a sudden he looked up, and dar was a painter crouching down before him, a pat in the ground with his tail, and ready to spring. Maz, Jeans wheeled to a run, and blessed a load. Dar was another painter, crouching and patting the ground with his tail in the path behind him, and ready to spring, and both of them painters sprung at the same time, right towards Ma's, James's head, Ma's, James jumped to one side, and them painters come to Jadier in the air, and D.A. was a gwine so fast, and D.A. struck each other with such terrible ambition that instead of coming down, D.A. went up, and blessed a load, Ma's, James stood there and watched them painters go on up, and up, and up, Till D.A. went clean out o' sight of fightin', and blessed a load. The hair was a-fallin' for three days, which fulfills the words of the scripture where it reads, The young men shall dream dreams, and the old men shall see visions. I remembered the tale Uncle Solomon used to tell about the first convention that was ever held in the world. He said, it was a convention of Donnie Mills. Brother Fox was dar, and Brother Wolf, and Brother Rabbit and all the rest of the animal kingdom was jadeered to jidder to settle some questions concerning the happiness of the animal kingdom. The first question that was before the convention was, how D.A. should vote. Brother Coon, he took the flow and moved at the convention vote by raising deer tails, whereupon Brother Possum raised with a grin of disgust, and said, Mr. Chilman, I's unanimous opposed to that motion, Brother Coon wants these convention to vote by raising deer tails. Case Brother Coon's got a ring striped and streaked tail, and wants to show it before the convention. Brother Coon knows Dad the possum is afflicted with an early black rusty tail, and I consider Dad motion an insult to the possum race, and besides Dad, Mr. Chilman, if you pass Asty's motion for to vote by raising your tails, the billy goats already voted. I sometimes think that Uncle Solomon's homely story of the goat would be a splendid illustration of some of our modern politicians. It is difficult to tell which side of the question they are on. I remembered the yarn Uncle Yappy once spun at the expense of Uncle Rostus. Rostus looked sour and said, You better not go too far, 
I'll tell about them water millions what disappeared from Ma's Landon's water million patch. But Uncle Yappy was undismayed by the threatened attack upon his own record, and said, Some time ago Rostus concluded to go into the egg business, and he prayed to the load to send him some hens, but somehow or another the hens never come, and then he prayed to the load to send him after the hens, and lo, and behold, next morning his lot was full of chickens, Rostus fixed nest eyes, and waited, and waited for the hens to lay, but somehow or another the hens wouldn't lay that summer at all, and Rostus kept getting madder and madder, till one day the lay rooster hopped up on the porch and began to flop his wings and crow. Rostus looked at him sideways, and muttered, Yes, flopping your wings and crowing around you like an lay fool, and you can't lay a egg to save your life. The darkies fell over in the floor, and everybody laughed except Rostus, but to appease his wrath, Uncle Yappy rolled out a big watermelon from under the bed which lighted up the face of the frowning old Rostus with smiles, and as the luscious red pulp melted away in his mouth, he cut the pigeon wing in the middle of the floor, and sang like a mockingbird, Oh, the honeymoon am sweet, the chicken am good, the possum, it am very very fine, but give me, oh give me, oh, how I wish you would, that watermelon hanging on divine, then old Uncle Newt rosined his bow, and the welkin rang with the music of the fiddle, there I sat in the old familiar woods and dreamed of the happy long ago, until a gang of blackbirds, spluttering in a neighboring treetop woke me, and when I rose from the log and threw myself into the shape of an interrogation point, and touched the trigger, at the crack of my rifle old bullfrog shot into the pond, the hood owl, scooted, into his castle in the trunk of an old hollow tree, the blackbirds cut the, asymptote of a hyperbolical curve, in the air, the squirrel fell to the ground at my feet, with a bullet through his brain, and there was silence silence in the frog pond, silence in the trees, silence in Sleepy Hollow, silence all around me. I shouldered my rifle and wended my way back to the old homestead on the bank of the river and silence was there. The voices of the happy long ago were hushed. The old-time darkies were sleeping on the hill, close by the spot where my father sleeps. The moss-covered bucket was gone from the well. The old barn sheds had creeled. The old house where I was born was silent and deserted. As I looked upon these scenes of my earliest recollection, I was softened and subdued into a sweet pensive sorrow, which only the happiest and holiest associations of bygone years can call into being. There are times in our lives when grief lies heaviest on the soul, when memory weeps, when gathering clouds of mournful melancholy pour out their floods and drown the heart in tears. Oh, beautiful isle of memory, lighted by the morning star of life, where the roses bloom by the door. Where the robins sing among the apple blossoms, where bright waters ripple in eternal melody, there are echoes of songs that are sung no more, tender words spoken by lips that are dust, blessings from hearts that are still, there's a useless cradle, and a broken doll, a sunny tress, and an empty garment folded away, there's a lock of silvered hair, and an unforgotten prayer, and mother a-sleeping there, dreams of the years to come, there, under the shade of the sycamores, on my father's old farm. I used to dream of the years to come, I looked through a vista blooming with pleasures, fruiting with achievements, and beautiful as the cloud isles of the sunset, the siren, ambition, sat beside me and fired my young heart with her prophetic song, she dazzled me, and charmed me, and soothed me, into sweet fantastic reveries, she touched me and bade me look into the wondrous future, the bow of promise spanned it, hope was enthroned there and smiled like an angel of light.
Under that shining arch lay the goal of my fondest aspirations, visions of wealth, and of laurels, and of applauding thousands, crowded the horizon of my dream. I saw the capital of the Republic, that white column pantheon of liberty, lifting its magnificent pile from the midst of the palaces, and parks, the statues, and monuments, of the most beautiful city in the world. Infatuated with this vision of earthly glory, I bade adieu to home and its dreams, seized the standard of a great political party, and rushed into the turmoil and tumult of the heated campaign, unable to bear the armor of a soul. I went forth to do battle armed with a fiddle, a pair of saddlebags, a plugged horse, and the eternal truth. There was the din of conflict by day on the hustings, there was the sound of revelry by night in the cabins, the midnight stars twinkled to the music of the merry fiddle and the hills resounded with the clatter of dwindling shoe soles, as the mountain lads and lassies danced the hours away in the good old-time Virginia reel. I rode among the mountain fastnesses like the knight of the woeful figure, mounted on my prancing, resonant, everywhere charging the windmill of the opposing party, and wherever I drew rein the mountaineers swarmed from far and near to witness the bloodless battle of the contending candidates in the arena of joint discussion. My learned competitor, bearing the shield of protection to American labor, and armed to the teeth with mighty argument, hurled himself upon me with the fury of a lion, his blows descended like thunderbolts, and the welkin rang with cheers when his lance went shivering to the center, his logic was appalling, his imagery was sublime, his tropes and similes flashed like the drawn blades of charging cavalry, and with a flourish of trumpets, his grand effort culminated in a splendid tribute to the Republic crowned with goldsmith's beautiful metaphor, as some tall cliff that lifts its awful form, swells from the vale and midway leaves the storm, though round its breast the rolling clouds are spread, eternal sunshine settles on its head, I receive the charge of the enemy, with poised lance, and visor down, I deluged the tall cliff under a flood of, mountain eloquence, which poured from my patriotic lips like molasses pouring from the bun hole of the universe, I mounted the American eagle and soared among the stars, I scraped the skies and cut the black illimitable far out beyond the orbit of Uranus, and I reached the climax of my triumphant flight with a hyperbole that eclipsed Goldsmith's metaphor, and thrown the